0: Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk Please do take up a Bible It's on page 1006, if you've got one of the blue large print, that's page 1193. Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll be reading from verses 1 to 18. Let's listen to God's words. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, By a single offering, he is perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, "This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds." Then he adds, "I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Amen. And please pick up your Bibles again, turn back to Hebrews chapter 10. Now, for the last few weeks, uh, the writer to the Hebrews, he's been delving more and more into Jesus' death on the cross uh, he's been exploring it, opening it up for us, showing us why it matters, why we need it. But I, I wonder if uh, the thought has ever come to you, well, why can't I just sort out things with God myself? You know, yes, there's stuff wrong in my life, but surely it's, it's my mess, so, so I'll deal with it. You know, we've, we've got to grow up, we've got to take responsibility for ourselves, and perhaps you've tried to do that. You know, I don't know, journey of self-discovery, pilgrimages to holy places, meditation, extensive works for charity, all trying to sort things out with God. Now it is our mess and we do have to take responsibility for it. But God, through these, these chapters of Hebrews, has been teaching us again and again that we can't do it ourselves. Our sin is too deep. The way out is too high. But by showing the lengths that Jesus went to, we've we've seen the extent of our problem. He, he's shown us Jesus. Uh, to use the heading from a, a sermon a long time ago, to be the perfect who, you know, a high priest that offers the ultimate sacrifice, a, a sacrifice that brings forgiveness, a sacrifice of himself, human blood shed. He's died in our place, penalty paid. Then he had to go to the real where, the the real heavens itself, access gained, forgiveness secured. It's it's like the the writer's taken the the problem of our sin and God's solution to it and just held it up in the light and just kept turning it more and more. And now in chapter 10, we get to kind of the final flurry of his argument and he, he takes us down to the most fundamental level. He takes us to what makes Jesus' sacrifice unique and effective. He gets us to see how it has to be Jesus who deals with our sin and rebellion. We can't do it ourselves. Now to start with, once again, he takes us back to the old covenant. You may have noticed that at the beginning of chapter 10. And he takes us there to show us this firstly. Our wrong materials don't work. Our wrong materials don't work. 10 verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. It can never make perfect those who draw near. It is totally ineffective. It doesn't work. Now again, we thought about this before. This doesn't mean that there's no forgiveness for anyone in the Old Testament. From the believer's point of view, as they trusted God's word, they received forgiveness. God promised to Israel in his words that the sacrifices, they brought atonement, it says, that they they paid the debt, They, they dealt with Israel's sin. Alec Mottier tells the story of a, an Israelite who went uh, uh, to the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament. He went and, and then comes home, and his, his wife asks him, are, are you forgiven? And he would say, Well, yes. And she asked him, well, well, how do you know? And he'd say, Well, because the priest put, put, put his hands on the animal. But how do you know? she would ask. And he would say, Well, because my, my sins, they're, they're transferred along those hands like a bridge onto that animal. How do you know she would persist? Because that animal, it died. His blood was shed. But how do you know? And in the end, he comes to the only final statement, because God says so. The old covenant believer could say, yes, he's forgiven because God promised it. And yet, in the sacrifices themselves, there shows, there's, there's a problem. It They show there's a problem. Because if his wife had asked, but are you still a sinner? Is your conscience permanently clean? Well, here comes the problem. Those sacrifices, they kept happening next year and the year after and the year after. The repetition of the sacrifice, verse 3, it points to a reminder of sins every year. They cannot, from God's point, actually deal with sin they cannot perfect the worshiper, making them acceptable to God himself. The, the old covenant, it's only a shadow. It's not the true form of the reality. It's, it's murky in look and missing power. More sacrifices, they're always needed. And why, verse 4? For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. What's the problem it's the wrong materials. The wrong materials don't work. They can't take away sin. It's, it's like we're facing a locked door. Behind the door lies, lies the treasures of God's kingdom. And, and eternal life itself. And, and in our hands, it's a bunch of keys. You know, we try one. No, it's too short. We, we try another. It doesn't fit at all. We, we, we try another and the lock won't even turn. Everything we try just doesn't open the door, because we've got the wrong key. The, the animals won't work because they're the wrong key. They're, they're animals. And you know what? this is true of all our efforts to sort things out with God. They're the wrong keys. Whether it's, know, offering what we own, whether it's money or time, whether it's religious rituals or charitable giving, they're, they're just insufficient. They cannot take away sin. They cannot perfect us. They don't turn the lock. Ian McEwan in his book Atonement tells the the story of someone trying to rewrite the past to try and make up for their sins, cover it over, and yet it all feels so hopeless, so empty, insufficient. And that's because it is. It's the wrong key. We can seen particularly in those offerings that we repeat again and again because the repetition just begs the question well how much is enough you know we 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 see it in our efforts to to cleanse our consciences by disciplining ourselves I get fitter healthier more productive you know master myself more and more to when till we die is that enough we see it in religious festivals. Take the, the Islamic Shiite festival of Ashura, where they, they literally cut themselves with swords pouring out blood year after year to pay for their sins. But how much is enough? The, the wrong materials don't work. They can't pay for our sin. That begs the question, what's wrong with them? Why aren't they enough? Well, to see that, we've got to look at the right key, the right materials, because there is a solution. The door is open. The the passage ends in verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering of sin. Everything dealt with. Forgiveness, no more offerings. But how? What's the answer? Well, it's through the fully perfected human. It's through the fully perfected human. What is that? Well, let's see verse 4, the writer, he set up a contrast in verse 4 that the blood of goats and bulls can't take away sins. And then verse 5, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said. So, So since the wrong materials don't work, as a consequence, Christ has come. If we need to see what the true key looks like, we need to look at Jesus. And then the writer opens up an amazing conversation. He takes Psalm 40, that's the bit in quotation marks, he takes Psalm 40 and he puts it on the lips of Jesus. Sacrifices and offerings you have desired, but a body you've prepared for me. In burnt offerings and and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. As he puts these words of the psalmist, the King David's words, onto Jesus' lips, he, he opens up this heavenly conversation, a conversation between the, the eternal Son of God coming as our mediator, speaking to his Father. Isn't that extraordinary? Okay? So now these, the, these words, when they were spoken by King David, well, they gave a general principle. They're teaching us the, the obedience of the whole life matters much more than, than ritual obedience. Doing God's will in, in everything is what God wants. We, we, we know obedience to God matters from his words, but also our conscience shows us, doesn't it? That, that convicting voice, that remembering of a past, and it's pointing to the deep need of obedience. And God's law convicts us. We know what it says, and yet failure is so devastating. And God is clear, fulfilling his law isn't just not doing wrong. It's not just avoiding the bad stuff. Uh, I haven't killed, I haven't sworn, or I haven't been unkind. There's more. It's also doing what's right. It's a heart turned towards God with an all of us love uh, and lived out in love every moment to others. Perhaps that's the key we're looking for. It's a fully fledged human, like a tree in full blossom, a vision of life. But once again that also leaves us empty. We we know we aren't that person. We don't have that key. But the writer doesn't just leave this psalm as David's psalm. It becomes the words of Christ Jesus. And as it does, these, these words grow. Not just a general principle, but into something greater. Because firstly, this psalm means Jesus has come to do something more than we'd expect. Verse 8, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second, So because the psalm is said by Jesus, the Son of God, it it takes it onto a new level. As he says it, as Jesus says it, something changes. Because by saying the second bit, I've come to do your will, the first bit about sacrifices is actually, it's got rid of. He does away with the first. Jesus, he doesn't come to carry things on as usual. He didn't come just to keep the status quo. He didn't come to offer lots of sacrifices, standing at the temple, killing animal after animal. Why? Because he's come to do something different. And so he puts aside those laws because he's here to do something specific, to do God's specific will for him. So there's something more that Jesus is up to, something else going on. It's not life as usual, but something bigger. Well, what is it? Well, let's just spend a bit more time here in Psalm 40. Because we need to build the picture of Jesus, who he is, what he's come to do. Because first, Jesus, first of all, he takes on a fully human life. A body you have prepared for me, it says. And a body not just to be lived in, but also to die in, verse 10. He offers his body as a sacrifice. The eternal son of God takes on human flesh for us true, real human life. As it says in chapter 2, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. And if in every respect, and that means this word body here must mean more than just his, his flesh and blood, his muscles and nerves, but also his soul, his heart, his mind. He's a real human. He didn't come as a bull or a goat but as a true, real, full human with human desires and human will, a body you've prepared for me. But then see what he does with that human life. Verse seven, then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. It's not just a fully human life. It's a fully perfected life. It's a, a life of total obedience. I have come to do your will. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, He and the Father were, were always in step with one another before the foundation of the world and then as He walked the earth. This, this little verse shows us that, that Jesus coming to die for us, he, He's not some innocent it's kind of third party. It's not a, a father killing His unknowing, uninvolved son, not, not cosmic child abuse, of some have said. Now, sometimes our, our illustrations used to explain the cross uh, can convey that. You know, perhaps like one where, a, you may have heard it, where a train is coming to, to cross a bridge that needs to be lowered, but is, his, his son uh, uh, is in the mechanism, so the father has to kill the son to save those on the train. Now, now that gets across perhaps the, 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 the cost, the heart of the father, the idea that one dies for many. But it can leave us thinking that the son is just a third party. Someone has no choice in the matter. But that's not true. I have come to do your will. The son is willing. He comes of his own accord. He's of the same heart and mind as the father. It's the the one God acting. So here's a a willing, obedient life. And, And here we see the heart of the difference between him and the animals. Just imagine if you back at the sacrifice, and you walked up to a bull as it lay on the altar, still alive at this point, and you said, well, why are you here? Of course, there's going to be no answer, is there? Do do you want to be here? Again, no answer. That bull never lay there in willing obedience to God himself. It never uh, fully obedient in heart and mind to all that God wants. It was a dumb animal, that Christ was, I have come to do your will. And this was obedience in all its fullness. This was a life walked uh, that walked step by step towards the cross. Every moment of every day, he set his face towards the cross. The, the body prepared for him was a body that was finally offered as a sacrifice. Dying on that cross, facing the wrath of God for sin, it's the ultimate obedience. As the Holy Spirit says in Philippians, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Even death on a cross. As he, as he walked his life on earth, the, the stormy weather, in a sense, got worse and worse, stronger and stronger against him, but he kept walking on. Every step, he, he bore our world's sin and And also each step, he actively did exactly what his father wanted. Total obedience. Fully perfected, in the words of Hebrews. As we read of him in the Gospels, isn't it a beautiful life to behold? Self-giving, goodness, compassion, patience. A heart completely turned towards his father in wonderful communion. Wonderful love and submission right to the end, fully perfected. And verse 10 is clear, by that will we have been sanctified, by that will. Now, whose will? Well, the will spoken of explicitly has been the Father's, hasn't it? But perhaps it's a fuller statement than that. It's also the, the will of the Son, the Son's perfect will to do the, what the Father wants, Christ's offering, it's not just a human life, it's an offering of a a fully perfected human life. But here we see the difference open up for us, because there's more. Jesus is the Christ. He's not just like his brothers in every way, he's also fulfilling everything his brothers should have done. He's stepping into the world, not just for himself, but for us. Verse 10, by that will, we have been sanctified. His perfect life, it's a public life, a life that matters for others. Just like Adam's sin took all into sin with him, so Jesus' life takes his people into life with him. This is the fully perfected human life. This is what humanity's needed. It's a life in full bloom, a life that's fully orbed peak, a life of perfect obedience given for others. Jesus Christ himself. He, his is such an extraordinary, perfect life. Live in obedience, um, lived in obedience to his Father as the Son of God, the Son of Man, God's Christ. It's such a wonderful life. It, it grabs hold of others and pulls them along with him. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And this is why. Our efforts to make things right with God are so weak. They're absolutely nothing compared to what is needed. Jesus, the fully perfected human for us, isn't he glorious? How pitiful our attempts to sort things out are. You know, when we when we see the perfect, the right materials, we, we see how our weak attempts are, are wrong materials, uh, how wrong they are. It was, a, it was a pretty humiliating moment in my life that perhaps hopefully helps us see this. In an interview for a, a teaching job, I was asked whether I could, I could also help with coaching sports at the school. And I said, sure. you know I've played sport a few times. I'm sure I could help. And then the head asked me, well, what sort of level? This is for rugby, And uh, under 14s. I thought, sure, I could do that. Under 15s, well, why not? You know, and then he said, well, what about the first fifteen? Now, this is a school that's top team the year before it got to the final of the school's national cup, and I had no idea. So I was like, yeah, sure. And now, thankfully, the head knew better, and I wasn't put in charge of the first 15 because when I got to that school and started to coach, and I saw the first 15 coach at work, when I saw him do his thing, what a fool I'd be. You know, my, my efforts would have been absolutely atrocious falling completely short of what was needed his skill his knowledge his understanding of the game i had none of it as we we see the perfection as we see the perfection of jesus our our efforts they're small they're paltry they're limited they're still stained with our sin they're utterly useless we offer god money what What a slap in the face compared to the fully perfected life of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We beat ourselves up to pay for our sin. What an insult compared to the fully perfected life of Jesus Christ offered on the cross. And boy do we see that Jesus' offering really works. Verse 10 is such a huge statement. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then uh, that he, he just goes on and shows it. That's what verses 11 to 18 do. They, they show us that the, the fully perfected human, his, his offering really works. His offering really works. It, it works like a, a sharp, hot knife through soft butter. Verse 11, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Not many offerings, but one. One single sacrifice. It only needed one. And so he sat down. Rather than standing like those priests who had to keep offering sacrifices again and again, he has he is sat down. Now, so, sometimes if you're like me, we, we can sit down when everything isn't actually done. You know, like when I've, I've been washing up, standing at the sink, but I think I'm done. So I start to empty the, the sink of water, head to an empty chair, when a voice says, do you think we're finished? Uh, and there behind me is a whole load of more dirty dishes not with Jesus. He was finished. He was done. One single sacrifice, and it's only one because his offering really works. Firstly, it fulfills everything the Father requires. He sits down at the right hand of God, a place of honor and glory. If he's sat next to the Father, then clearly he's completed the task he was given. He truly has done the will of the one who sent him, it satisfies the Father because it deals with sin and the devil and with us. Verse, verse 12, the sacrifices for sins. That the sins of his people were upon him even as he died fully obedient. He suffered for their sins even as he was righteous. And so sin and its requirements are utterly dealt with. It deals with sins. It also deals with the devil, verse 13. Christ has sat down waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. He's done everything to secure the defeat of his enemies. He's robbed them of any accusation of the threat of death. And so the enemy's bound, humiliated, triumphed over with just judgment to come. He's dealt with sin, he's dealt with the devil, and so he deals with us. Verse 14, for by a single offering he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Perfected, that's made right with God. Sanctified, that's being set apart for a God. It's all done. Christ's offering really works. It's all the evidence of a sufficient sacrifice. The, the fully perfected human really did achieve it all. And it's also secured in the promise of God, verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. And then he quotes Jeremiah 31 again with that amazing final line, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. It's willed by the Father. It's promised by the Holy Spirit. And it's achieved by the Son. No wonder it works. It's the key that truly unlocks the door. God's extraordinary grace. And this is so freeing. Just look at verse 18 again. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. No longer any offering, no more. No repeated sacrifices again and again. Whatever you've tried to offer to God to sort things out, whatever you've done to try and make up for your mess, to clear your name, to wipe your guilt and shame away, you don't need to do it. There's no need. You can stop. You should stop. Forgiveness is here. It's all been done. So stop beating yourself up and punishing yourself over what's gone on in the past to pay for your guilt. Stop making offerings, perhaps, to supposed gods of other religions to pay for your sin. Stop coming here to church or reading your Bible or praying to try and make God look at you favorably. There is no longer any offering for sin. Jesus is the fully perfected human for us. We're, we're already righteous because we have him. So no longer any offering for sin. Isn't that freeing? Rather than wondering if what, what you've done is enough, you can know that you can't do enough, but that Jesus has. He's done it all. So we just approach God as we are, even with our sin. This this week I read a wonderful article by an old Scottish minister called Hugh Martin about our swap with Christ, how Jesus takes our sin as we take his righteousness. But but Martin puts this wonderfully. Let me read uh, from him. Bring your sin and obtain freely perfect righteousness. The Lord requires you not to bring righteousness, but to bring sin. Sin you have, bring what you have. Righteousness you have not, come and receive what you have not. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ exempts you from having to bring righteousness, exempts you from being paralyzed by the terror of having nothing but sin, Exempts you from the despairing task and toil of finding any righteousness of your own. Exempts you from finding any ground of peace with God yourself. From constructing any justifying reason for peace with God yourself. From drawing up any terms or covenant of peace yourself. From extinguishing or putting away your sin yourself. From bringing in any righteousness yourself. At one grand stroke, the Lord settles all forever. Jesus Christ, the Holy One, the righteous, receives you, a sinner. Isn't that wonderful? We approach just with our sin, but covered with Christ. He did it all for us. So we come to God with our, with our lives, with the ups and downs, the sin and mess. We, we come but with humble boldness clothed with the one who said, I have come to do your will. Now, you might be thinking, does that mean I can now do anything? You know, if all I come to God with is sin, surely sin doesn't matter. Well, as Paul would say, by no means. If sin is what took Christ to the cross, then we should live lives rid of it, instead lives of goodness and beauty and truth, lives that reflect God's love and character, lives of peace and faithfulness, lives perched of sin. But we do it in faith. Faith in Christ's work in us, faith in that promise that we've read from Jeremiah, that God will put his law on our hearts and write them on our minds. Faith that the Holy Spirit is changing us to be more like Jesus. It's a a life lived out of gratitude to God. It's not a life lived to try and earn God's love anymore, a life to atone for our sin or pay for our guilt. No, it's, it's the life of a child, not a slave, the life of one who knows they're loved, not one who wants to be. And so we can live life as a gift because there's no longer any offering for sin. And we can begin to walk in those footsteps that say, I've come to do your will, O God." We can take baby footsteps in the, in the footprints of the one who came before us, walking in his obedience, growing up, becoming more and more like the, the people God made us to be, to be fully perfected, mature, new creations, listening to God's word, to his laws and commands and instruction, all because Christ came. The true key that, that opens the door to the treasures of God himself, our saviour, our mediator and brother, amen.